is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Jennifer Moss to the show. Jennifer will talk about developing anti burnout strategies beyond apps, wellness programs, and perks. Jen, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here too. It's going to be great. So my goodness, we're still navigating through the pandemic journey, and we we certainly hope that the hardest part is behind us. But everywhere I turn, I hear people, colleagues, friends, clients say, oh my goodness, I am burned out. It seems to be ubiquitous. And and you've had a personal journey with burnout. Would you start out there and help us understand the genesis of this book and, and how you transitioned through your own burnout? Absolutely. So, you know, my career started really in, in HR sort of um, education and talking to leaders about strategies. And it evolved when I was uh, working within this one company that I was a startup founder of. And we were really helping organizations to optimize. You know, we were taking them from good to great. And that's awesome when uh, organization is great at it, when they have their well-being strategies all figured out and they also have the hygiene figured out. And when I mention hygiene, it really is just the table stakes stuff. You know, they're paying people well. They're making sure that you feel psychologically safe at work. There's diversity and inclusion inside of uh, the, the company that people are working at. So they have that sort of base level stuff done. But what I found in a lot of organizations is that they didn't even have that hygiene managed. And so we've been spending a lot of time in our well-being programs focused on this sort of helping people to optimize versus dealing with mental health and illness. And the thing is, is it took me, I, you know, over the course of being a startup founder of a tech, you know, a scale up and being a female in that position, which is not always easy as well. Um, And it was my own realization that I wasn't even managing hygiene in my own organization when it came to myself. You know, we were overworking, we were under-resourced, we couldn't, you know, make sure that payroll was always covered every week. There was just huge amounts of stress. And that filtered into my life and into my family. And I sort of woke up and looked around and thought, I am burning out. Here I am, you know, uh, helping organizations to be happier and healthier, and I'm not taking my own advice. And that is really when I started to to what I what I joke is that I've moved from being a happiness expert into an unhappiness expert. But I really did identify that I have to walk the walk. And as a leader, I need to model the behavior. And and that really is what led to researching burnout, understanding the causes, realizing that it's an organizational problem to solve and not an individual problem to solve with self-care. And it's been driving my passion ever since. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that very real story. You know what I find interesting? The the startup realm uh, doesn't necessarily allow for... um, work-life integration, work-life fit. You know, there's this uh, phenomenon of we've got to get it done. We're a startup. We've got to be scrappy. And you just know going in, it's going to be intense. It's going to be 24-7. Do you think it has to be that way? Because you're a savvy entrepreneur. Do we have to model that behavior in startups? 
Absolutely. It's so critical. And we're seeing more, you know, folks in technology, leaders in technology pushing back on that idea that you were supposed to be doing these 80 hour work weeks, you know, in tech for sure it's pervasive. And then, you know, you often see the startups in technology even uh, more focused on working hard to to prove to investors that you're really delivering, you know, on your promise to them. And I actually, you know, know, and and it's funny because I, I had all the research in front of us. This is what we were trying to get large organizations to think about: is that you actually, you know, don't produce more if you work more. It's not actually as effective. You don't make more money. You don't have the a better shareholder or stakeholder value when you're working that hard. And um, and I think that's what we need to start thinking about is. What are we actually trying to, uh, you know, earn in our lifetime? What are going to be our deathbed regrets? And I started to think about this and it wasn't, oh, I'm going to, you know, miss that one, uh, you know, hundredth investor meeting, or I'm not going to get that last email out at 11. My deathbed regrets are going to be that I didn't have, you know, a functioning relationship with my family or I was never there and um, I was lonely and isolated and that really changed actually the trajectory of our business. We stepped back and we stopped following advice that wasn't healthy for us. And, you know, we got control of the business. And finally, when we did that was when we started to be profitable. So I think we need to look at the data and, and, the, and the research that shows that overworking and burning out is not actually good for business. Well, death bed regrets. It, that says it all, Jen. My goodness. That just, uh, yeah, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Well done. That's so important. So here, here's what I find interesting about the book, reading it. You say, look, perks, yoga, gym memberships, whatever it is, coffee bar, that's not enough. Those are only perks and managing through motivation doesn't work. So how do we systemically change what you called, you know, the hygiene and the psychological safety and, and the basic needs for um, a, a practical and, and healthy work environment? You know, that is, I think, the biggest learning and research that I think I just fell in love with this research around, you know, Herzberg's theory of motivation, you know, sort of theory of hygiene. And the idea that we think of wellness as, um, you know, as this holistic way of increasing happiness and health and mental health in organizations and employees that they serve, we don't realize that a lot of the tactics that are part of that strategy are so far downstream that they're not really getting to the root causes of burnout. And the root causes of burnout really are at that hygiene level. They're systemic. They're policy-driven. You know, until we actually solve for, you know, deltas and, and wages between lots of different groups, men and women in, you know, vulnerable groups, um, what we're going to find is that we'll never solve for burnout because that is a root cause. We need equity and fairness and pay. We need to make sure that we decrease loneliness and isolation at work because that's a root cause. Again, that's that's hygiene. It's just making sure people feel psychologically safe at work and, and that, you know, managing just overall compensation. Are we rewarding and recognizing the right people in our organization? Are we promoting, you know, women of color? Are we promoting, you know, anyone that is in a vulnerable group? Until we do that, we're not solving for burnout. So again, that's where I really want to separate our thinking around, you know, burnout prevention and well-being. 
optimization and motivation is fantastic. It's we can't just have one, you know, without the other. They're important pieces of the puzzle in making, you know, a happy, healthy, high performing culture. But we want to make sure that we're not, you know, totally making our wellness programming as as part of these downstream uh, tactics. We need to get much further upstream to really solve for burnout. Do you believe that the the burnout epidemic has gone exponential because of the pandemic and so many people working from home if they had the the opportunity to even do that? Crises tend to exacerbate existing problems. We see this, you know, continue over and over when we've had the, you know, economic crisis in 2008, for example, it just continued to over qualify our young talent. And now they're in this continued sort of uh, stasis in their careers because once again, here we are in this situation where we're in another crisis and, you know, they're, they've had to go back to school or get extra, you know, continuing education. And we don't have paths to you know, making sure their skills are matched. So, you know, this happens again and again. But the pandemic really did, you know, make us think about, you know, what are the, the problems or it's highlighted the problems that were already there. You know, remote employees tended to be more likely to burn out because they were, you know, they did deal with more isolation than others. But it was managed because there was only 4% of people working remote. All of a sudden, you have 30% or more of the workforce working remote. You have to imagine it's like, you know, lighting a, a match to a workforce in drought. It just really reminded us that the things we were doing wrong, we're really doing them wrong now. And it also made people, you know, understand they had a frame of reference. They now know that they don't want to commute for two hours. They now know that they can pick their kids up at three o'clock in the afternoon. So it did also remind us of what really matters in life. We were faced with more, our mortality. We had to think intentionally about what really mattered. And that means, you know, we can't jam the toothpaste back in the tube. And so this idea of burnout and COVID, yes, it, it did tell us that we have some problems that we need to overcome, but it's also told us what we can do. And that is also going to make, you know, employers have to step up in the future so that we don't continue to burn people out. Jen, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So what I love about your book is that it's filled with tactical action steps. You know, we're all reading, we're experiencing burnout, many of us, and we need we need help. And your book is, is Get It Done, Action Steps, Tools That We Can Implement Today. But I want to start with the conversation about leaders. Now, in some organizations, the culture is such that, hey, you're getting paid top dollar. You are a leader. Suck it up. This is this is the way it is. This is the world of being a leader. Do you believe that that's the way it's got to be for leaders or can leaders experience uh, a healthy work-life integration? 
I absolutely believe that leaders, you know, need to be modeling the behavior. Employees can't be what they can't see. So we as leaders have this um, expectation that we have to, you know, place on ourselves to, to model a workplace culture that our employees will feel safe and happy and engaged in. And it's kind of like a child, you know, monkey see, monkey do, or, or do as I say, not as I, as I do. All of those, you know, all of those adages or idioms, they're there for a reason because it's true. You know, you can't say I'm going to go on a vacation and or tell an employee, sorry, that they can't, they can go on a vacation and they're not supposed to answer emails. And then you're the one that's emailing the whole time, or you go away and you break all the rules that you're trying to set out for the people that you're leading. So, you know, we have to do it for ourselves because self-care is still extremely important. And although, you know, burnout and burnout prevention strategies need to be organizational and collaborative, it's a we problem to solve at all levels we as individuals still have roles to play. And so we need to do that by making sure that we're getting proper rest, that we're not in this rest deficit where we're constantly, you know, on all the time. We need to make sure that we, you know, get sensory rest, that we're not constantly in this state of Zoom burnout. You know, there's great research that shows that from Stanford, actually, that shows that, you know, us looking at these screens and and mirroring someone in this um, sort of this giant face that we're looking at in any other situation in real life we would either be mating them or fighting them. And so we're in this hyper aroused state all day long and we don't even know it subconsciously. And we're just learning this about, you know, these digital implications. And so a lot has to be learned and realized we've, we've tested. Now we need to iterate and and make some changes based on how we're going to manage our own um, sort of digital relationship are always on culture that we're continuing to emphasize and is growing even more, and then be able to model proper etiquette and behavior and digital detoxing so our employees also feel like they can behave in the same way. So I'm grateful that you shared that you really believe that leaders need to role model this behavior. And I agree with you 100%. Let's get tactical because that's what I love, love, love about your book. So how can leaders, because many of them are listening around the world, how can they measure burnout in their own organization, right? What's their test to say, okay, this is happening and now I've got to create solutions. So, you know, and I always talk on this sort of macro and then inside teams and then individual level, there's sort of three tiers to this, you know, macro, we still need to have those database um, decisions that are made in our organization. And we can do that by larger scale surveys like the Maslow burnout inventory. It really looks at, you know, are we and areas of work-life survey, these types of surveys combined really look at, you know, how are people feeling? Are they burning out? Are they at risk of burnout? How do they feel about their sort of life satisfaction along with um, the, the modes of working and is it healthy? So that's a really great tactical way of just measuring for burnout organization wide. But I also strongly believe that leaders and, and uh, really need to empower direct managers to have conversations and frequent conversations with their teams. And so, 
I have this sort of uh, sort of example of how we can do that in a very simple way. You know, we should ask three questions and we need to have this meeting every single week. It needs to be a short meeting, but it needs to be consistent from now into till eternity. I say burnout prevention isn't a diet. It's a lifestyle change. We need to really look at embedding this in the culture. So create consistency every single Thursday, for example. So it's not on a Friday. Ask, you know, these three questions as a manager, you know, how, you know, how much stress did you experience this week um, in achieving your goals? What were the barriers? This is a second question. What were the barriers? Were they personal, professional, or both um, in actually meeting those objectives that you set out for? And hopefully at that point over time, the goal is for people, person to share not just the work-related stuff that might have happened that week that impacted their stress, but the personal stuff, the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, the gray area stuff, the semiotics, you know, the stuff that's demonstrating, you know, through language, like I'm, I've been really tired or I had to deal with, you know, managing my mom and getting her into, you know, a stable place to stay, or I'm dealing with a sick family member who got sick from COVID. I mean, all of those personal things that come up in that question can be so profoundly helpful. And then the last question that a manager should ask is, what can I do for you in some simple way to make next week a little bit better? And that question, that that one at the end, and we can do this as peers too, what can we do as a team for each other to make next week a bit easier? That's just slowly growing trust, slowly building on learning and taking data and figuring out ways to be able to make that person's week a little bit better, which ends up reducing stress, which makes a psychologically safe environment for work, makes people feel like they can be heard. I mean, the benefits are obviously really important there. And then as an individual, you know, it's really just critical for us as managers to have more self-awareness. Are we married to ideas that we think are really important? Should we be acting like this as business as usual right now? Because it isn't giving ourselves grace, reminding ourselves there's no right way to feel right now. And also that we are going through the same collective trauma as every other person is right now in the world. And that's okay. We have exhausted leaders leading exhausted teams. We need to make sure that they are giving themselves grace as well. You know, I love what you just said because it it helps seed a happier culture. And I, I'm hearing you're building trust, but you're building resiliency. And, and I love the curiosity of asking questions. We often skip over that, right? We, we don't know each other in our organizations because we're often so focused on the work and not the people. Yes. And that is the critical part to really driving human-centered leadership and, you know, what I call empathy 2.0. And I, I talk about the importance of empathetic leadership now more than ever. But I say, you know, don't do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. Do unto others as they would have done unto them. And that means actively listening. That means making sure that you're creating policy and programs and support systems in the image of that group that you're serving and not in the image of ourselves. That removes bias and privilege privilege and, you know, all those really important components that make it so that we can build 
higher performing teams, ones that feel like they can speak up, you know, ones that feel like they can be creative and innovative because their voices are heard at the table where we identify where there could be errors. You know, you look at some really great examples of where someone spoke up and it saved lives. And so it really is that critical, but we can only do that if we have this very strong level of empathy in our leadership and across our culture. Jen, I loved your book. Thank you for spending time with me today. I want to tell our global audience all about it. Uh, The title is The Burnout Epidemic, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It by Jennifer Moss. Jen, I learned so much. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise. And I wish you great success with the book. It is available on Amazon and all major book retailers. And I hope you'll come back again soon on the show. I absolutely will. I had such a great time. Thank you for hosting me. Thank you. Be well. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new audience members find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.